When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. If people think the country's on the wrong track and are upset, it's usually really bad news for the party in power. The Democrats have a very difficult challenge on their hands when it comes to the midterms. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. I think there's a lot of pent-up demand for electing a woman, and I think 2022 could be the year of the woman. I see the demand that we have today as the baseline for the future. It means our economy is roaring back. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. President Joe Biden laid out a new round of administrative actions to address the Omicron variant as it sweeps the nation and threatens holiday plans. And Democrats are vowing to move forward on the social spending and tax bill after Senator Joe Manchin torpedoed their current efforts. We're going to hear more about that in a minute with Georgia Democratic Congresswoman Carolyn Bordeaux. I'm Emily Wilkins filling in for Joe Matthew with my Bloomberg government colleague Jack Fitzpatrick. Well, we are joined now by Congresswoman Carolyn Bordeaux, a Democrat from Georgia in the Atlanta suburbs, uh, one of the the few freshman Democrats in Congress this year. Uh, Congresswoman, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I want to sort of start off with the big news of the week, the Build Back Better, and Senator Joe Manchin saying that he can't support it. Uh, you know, you, uh, Congresswoman, you're a member of the financially conservative Blue Dogs. Uh, you've sort of made your case from the time that, that you've entered Congress that you really want to be pragmatic. Does Senator Manchin have a point? that this uh, big, bigger bill needs to be slimmed down to some degree? Well, uh, glad to be here, first of all. Um, I was pretty disappointed uh, in what he did, actually. Uh, we had worked very hard to try to put together a bill that was in alignment with some of the criteria that he had laid out uh, on the Senate side. The bill was fully paid for. Um, and it really addressed some important needs. So I'm pretty disappointed at uh, what's happening right now, but I am not about to give up hope. I think we just dust ourselves off, we go back, and uh, we just start working on this again. So, Congresswoman, we had uh, the House Budget Chairman John Yarmuth on yesterday, and he talked a little bit about, all right, if we have to go with Manchin's vision of everything being extended for 10 years, no more than uh, $1.75 trillion, then you have to pick a few priorities, probably child tax credit and then what else. What do you think you can actually mm-hmm. fit into that kind of bill? Well, I do think we have to go back and really prioritize there. You know, there's a lot in that bill, which I like a lot. Um, we can uh, slim it down some. And uh, I think things that are very important for people in my district are the health care benefits, 
uh, the, the premium tax uh, subsidies that help reduce the cost of health insurance premiums. Medicaid expansion is very important. Universal pre-K is very important, of course, and then making some down payments on uh, tackling climate change is very important as well. Absolutely. And I know that the, these are a number of things that Democrats have really been pushing for. And I think it's just worth noting in general that the bill, you know, as I think you point out, Congresswoman has already been slimmed down quite a bit. I mean, a lot of this bill, the amount of uh, funding that's going toward it, that $1.75 trillion number, the fact that there are some very key components for climate that are not in here, all of that has really been driven by Senator Joe Manchin. Yeah, and it's really interesting to hear the initial answer that even one of the more moderate members who had expressed some misgivings about the process of how this bill was put together and, you know, tying it with the infrastructure bill says that, that she's disappointed in Senator Manchin because I think one of the key questions is, is it Senator Manchin and maybe Senator Cinema against the whole rest of the Democrats in the House and Senate, or are they speaking for some quieter members? Uh, to, to hear that from Congressman Bordeaux makes Manchin seem like a bit more of a, a lone wolf than, than even I expected. I'm wondering, Congresswoman, I mean, what, what do you see as the path forward at this point? Do you think that Democrats are going to be able to get something done, and when do you expect that? Absolutely, I do. And I don't know how many times this bill uh, has been declared dead and how many times the infrastructure bill was declared dead. And um, I think uh, it's really it's part of the process. These bills have these ups and downs. They hit these stalemates. They hit these walls. Uh, of course, it happens an awful lot when you're in a really closely divided uh, body as well, where we're just the, the margins are so narrow. You're just going to have that happen an awful lot. Um, but the real key in, in politics and in policymaking is being very persistent and just keep going when you hit these roadblocks. Is, is there a certain time, Congresswoman, that you think that this needs to wrap up by, that Democrats need to either have it done or you're getting too close to the primary and the, and the midterm season? Um, I would obviously love to see it done in the three months when we get back, kind of the first quarter of next year. Uh, I think that would be optimum. Uh, but that being said, you know, I'm not I'm not giving up <laughs> until uh, I'm just not going to give up on these issues uh, at all, regardless of the elections. Um, the, the deal is this is about Medicaid expansions, bringing down the cost of health insurance for people. It's about ensuring really critical investments in our children uh, like universal pre-K. And that's what I was elected to advocate for. And uh, so uh, sorry, Manchin is <laughs> not there yet. We're just going to keep working on it, though. So, Congresswoman, one, one more detail I want to clarify. Uh, I believe last week the White House press secretary mentioned that it, it looks like the January child tax credit payment probably won't be able to be made because that expires at the end of the year, and they could double up in February. Uh, whenever this finishes, if you can get this kind of bill with the child tax credit uh, extended at some point, even if it's in the spring, should Americans expect extra payments essentially to be back paid whenever that becomes law? Well, we'll see what the negotiation is. And um, I certainly would advocate for that. I, I, I don't want to underestimate the importance of that payment to a lot of families in my district who you know, they're working in service sector jobs. They're, it's hard to make ends meet uh, in a, a lot of these uh, lower wage jobs these days. And that is really important for those families. 
Um, so I think that's certainly an option. Um, I think one thing that is also an option is to focus the child tax credit more on families in need um, as a way of bringing down the price tag. And so when I talk to my constituents, I point out that I, as a member of Congress, am getting the child tax credit. I've got a nine-year-old son, and while, you know, uh, that's nice, I don't need it, and uh, nor do people in this kind of income bracket need it. Um, and so I think there's a lot that could be done to focus it uh, more effectively on people who really do need that benefit. Which is interesting because that, that's a point that Senator Manchin brought up as well, that that benefit could be a little more targeted. Uh, Congresswoman, I also wanted to ask a bit, you know, the House has already moved on the bill. It's now really in the Senate's court. And you were a group, uh, part of a group of House lawmakers to ask House leadership if they can focus more on legislation that deals with the supply chain backlogs. What more does Congress need to do to address some of these bottlenecks? Absolutely. So, you know, BBB is one thing. We've handed that off to the Senate. It's time for them to chew on it, and clearly they're going to do that. Um, but we do have some real economic needs, and we need to keep it, uh, tackling those. Uh, we have legislation that is uh, in the House. Uh, it actually passed the Senate already, and it's been put over in our court, um, which is uh, the uh, Innovation and Competition Act. And uh, that's all about supply chains, unsticking them, um, and making sure that we are mapping our supply chains so we know where there are breakdowns and we are targeting uh, resources uh, to areas where we, you know, don't want to, we want to make sure we don't have those breakdowns in the future. So I think that's going to be really important, as well as just ongoing efforts to get the sand out of the gears of the economy and keep things moving. Congresswoman, I also wanted to spend a, a minute chatting about a piece of legislation that you've introduced that would actually revitalize shopping malls across the U.S. Um, I know that some of them have been particularly hard hit, especially in the last couple of years. Is this something that you expect to be brought up in the near future and, and given a vote on? Well, I, I hope so. So this is a great bill. Uh, everybody all across the country has dead malls in their community, and these are vast acres of unused or under underutilized land uh you know in our suburban and urban areas and we need to uh, renovate those and revitalize them and this legislation would provide a grant uh to localities that would be matched with a guaranteed loan program to provide an extra incentive to developers to redevelop uh these kind of abandoned areas and they just create this big hole in, in the fabric of our community. And we really need to come up with innovative ideas for how to reuse these spaces. So, Congresswoman, I, I have to ask about the redistricting situation and your reelection going toward 2022. Uh, the news being that your colleague, Congresswoman Lucy McBath, has said she's going to run in the same district as you. Uh, I believe this is a district where most constituents are currently being represented by you. Obviously, the whole map has changed, but she will be moving into the district after her district being broken up. Uh, and she, I noticed a quote that she gave to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution on her appeal. She said, I have never wavered on President Biden's agenda. I don't know if that's specifically a, uh, a, a mention uh, of you and other moderates uh, expressing uh, some, some misgivings about the process that the Build Back Better Act has gone through. But w can you lay out for us, what's the, what's the debate going to be in your primary with one of your colleagues? And is it focused on Biden's agenda? 
you know, I have said this many times that I really ground what I advocate for in what people in the 7th District need. And I spend a lot of time out there talking with people, talking with my business community, uh, you know, going to the churches, the mosques, the synagogues, the temples. We have a very diverse community and really listening to what people are concerned about. And when I advocate for things, I advocated very strongly for the infrastructure bill. And that's because one of the number one barriers for uh, economic development in this community is transit and congestion. And so I, I don't know if it's a question of the Biden agenda or not. Uh, I don't know about that. But really what I do is I really focus on what we need. And every time I'm up there in Washington fighting for something, it's because it's grounded in the needs of this community. Congresswoman Bordeaux, thank you again so much for taking the time to join us today. That was Congresswoman Carolyn Bordeaux, a Democrat representing the Georgia 7th District in the Atlanta suburbs. It's going to be a very interesting primary that that's going to be coming up there. One of several primaries that dealing with two incumbent lawmakers, thanks to the redistricting process. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. President Joe Biden outlined a plan earlier today to boost hospital testing and vaccine capacity in a speech as COVID cases rise due to the Omicron variant. He did make a point, though, to say we're not going back to a March 2020-style lockdown as 200 million or so Americans have been vaccinated. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick, co-hosting today uh, in Joe's stead with my Bloomberg government colleague, Emily Wilkins. And we're bringing in the panel now. Uh, Bloomberg politics contributors Jeannie Sheehan-Zeno and Rick Davis are with us. Guys, here's what President Biden had to say about the rapid spread of the Omicron variant and the difficulties of catching up to it. What happened was the Omicron virus spread even more rapidly than anybody thought. If I had told you four weeks ago that this would spread by a day-to-day basis, it would spread by 50, 100 percent, 200 percent, 500 percent. I think you would have looked at me and said, Biden, what are you drinking? But that's what it did. So it certainly did happen fast. But I've got to ask you guys, uh, Jeannie, let's start with you. Is the federal government behind on this with so many people trying to get tests before the holidays? We knew Christmas and New Year's were coming. Uh, did they allow themselves to get behind on testing and hospital capacity at all? 
They they did. Um, you know, they were behind on testing when it came to the Delta variant. When you're talking about the Omicron, they are way behind. And I think this is where we saw the president, who I thought I who I thought did a good job today, but I do think he sounded a bit defensive on the issue of testing. It wasn't but a couple weeks ago when your colleagues were asking Jen Psaki about getting tests into the homes of Americans, and she sort of poo-pooed that idea, laughed it off, and yet today that's what they're talking about. So the administration behind on testing, but they are trying to catch up. And, you know, Rick, another thing I noticed about what Biden Biden's speech today is that he seemed to spend a, a good bit of it saying that this is not March 2020, that things are different, that people are vaccinated. And if you're vaccinated and boosted, you can enjoy the holidays per usual. Uh, what sort of, of hit has Biden taken here because of the how the Delta variant and the Omicron variant have played out? You know, I, I, I get the impression that the public are going to embrace this notion that they need to be more careful, they need to test more, but they don't want to go back to a lockdown. And so the fact that he delivered news that was not a lockdown is probably, in a short term, a positive. The question is, does this have a midterm effect on the economy? Is the first quarter of next year going to stay on track and continue to grow, or are we going to see the economy uh uh, shutting down to some degree. If it does, I think that's going to drive people's anxiety about this. They're used to having to live now in a pandemic. We've done it now for two years. Question is, can we do that and still, you know, be able to move the economy forward, do our jobs, and to enjoy our families? Uh, and that includes some travel from time to time. So aside from the main points that we knew the president was going to address, he did say he is considering lifting the travel restrictions on people arriving from southern African countries where the Omicron variant uh, was first identified. Uh, Jeannie, what do you think we should look for? I mean, at this point, uh, we learned yesterday that about 75 percent of new cases are of the Omicron variant. So we have not sealed ourselves off from the rest of the world. Is there a purpose at this point to travel restrictions or should those go away very soon? You know, many health experts, when that was put into place, and it wasn't just the United States, as you know, other nations did that as well. They said that that was not good policy. It shouldn't have been based on the fact that it was from that area that we were given the most up to date and the best information about this variant. That shouldn't be the cause of putting it in place. So I'm not surprised the president is looking at lifting it. I think that makes sense. But what you also hear, interestingly, is health experts say, if we're going to have testing for people traveling internationally, why isn't the president saying to travel domestically, you have to do the same or the administration? And that's something we haven't heard the administration really grapple with at this point. So, you know, health officials saying there's other things they could be doing that they haven't done, but I'm not surprised they may lift this ban. And that's a big may at this point. Well, to that point, Rick, what do you think? Was the travel ban, is there a political aspect of that? I remember President Trump talking a lot about his travel restrictions. Is it, Are travel restrictions at this point in this kind of pandemic more of a, a political statement than something that really makes a difference for very long in a public health sense? I, I think in this case it potentially could have been, right? It's one of the very few things that the president of the United States has in his toolkit that he can do immediately, right? Okay, let's stop all flights from this one jurisdiction. I do think, though, in the process, they've learned that this uh, Omicron variant moves very quickly through the population. And today, after four weeks in South uh, South Africa, uh, it's it's now almost shut down, and uh, you know the the variants almost passed through the population. So 
opening it up actually makes some sense because we just don't have the threat into our public health. We have more of it in our country now than they have in theirs. So it's one of these things where, yeah, it's a great tool to use as a president politically to make people feel like you're doing something quick. But in this case, that policy almost got outrun by the, the, the variant itself. Right. Well, that's that's news for us to look for. Uh, again, as the president said, he is considering and, and will uh, decide in the near future lifting travel restrictions from those southern African countries. One other thing to watch, and I noticed in the press briefing today, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki saying that the, the administration feels they have the resources to back up all of this now, but they're in contact with Congress. So it seems like we should be looking for maybe Congress to legislate on this at some point. It's going to be hard, though. I mean, there's really not a lot of appetite in Congress for big spending at this point. There would really need to be a demonstrated need for people not going to work, schools shutting down, something like that. Right. It's tough to rely on Congress acting quickly, certainly. Again, I'm Jack Fitzpatrick here with Emily Wilkins, and we're joined now by Congresswoman Lucille Roybal Allard. Really want to get her take on a lot of the latest news on the Democrats' uh, legislative agenda, but I would note also uh, that the Congresswoman just recently announced she will not be seeking re-election in 2022. She's served since 1993. Uh, Congresswoman, very grateful to have you on with us. Uh, I I know you were the first Mexican-American woman elected to Congress. the first Latina on the House Appropriations uh, Committee. Uh, You did very significant work, uh, obviously, with the DREAM Act. I've covered the the actions you've done going back and forth on a a variety of homeland security funding issues, including the the border wall debates for a while there. I want to start uh, by just giving you an opportunity to tell us, you know, how do you reflect on the career you've had and and how do you feel uh, about where the country is going in the future? Well, first of all, uh, Jack, thank you for, for having me on. Um, w- with regards to uh, to the work uh, over the last almost thirty years, I'm 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 hoping that uh, that it reflects the fact that I've done you know everything in my power to to help to improve the quality of life of not just my constituents but mm-hmm. you know Americans through, uh, and and uh, our, our nation as a whole. And the, in terms of where we are headed now, I am truly hoping that uh, we'll be able, especially to get through this pandemic, and that we will be able to, to start working together. And I'm talking both Republicans and Democrats and independents mm-hmm. to start working together uh, towards the, the, the betterment uh, and improving the quality of life of Americans, because I, I believe this administration and I believe that this, this, this president mm-hmm. has demonstrated that mm-hmm. he is totally committed to doing that. And it is really what's happening uh, in Congress, uh, pr- primarily in the Senate, because uh, in the House, under the leadership of Nancy Pelosi, we have passed some right. very significant legislation that gets held up uh, in, in the Senate. And, and, and so Congresswoman... I'm that we could Yes. I, I did. I did want to ask you. I think as to the, the point that that you're speaking to, you know, several of your colleagues who are also retiring, uh, Congressman Albio Sierras, uh, said yesterday that the whole atmosphere in Washington is awful. Uh, he said that you either have to be from the left or the extreme right. I'm wondering, is that a concern that you have? It was. It was not a concern in in why I was retiring. 
if, if that's what your question is. Uh, it's a concern in, in general because, you know, I've been there long enough so that I can remember when we all were, you know, working together, even if we had differences of opinion of how to approach different, uh, different issues. But it is not a, a pleasant time right now. Uh, he's correct in, in that. But there are also what isn't, isn't uh, being said, that a lot of this is in the public domain, but behind the scenes, and I'll just use my own uh, subcommittee, for example, I work very, very well with the ranking member. We work together. We, we try and find common ground as much as we possibly can um, in terms of crafting our, our bill. And I know that that is true of, of other committees, uh, chairs and ranking members as, as well. But unfortunately, that doesn't always get out into the press. And it's usually the, all the negativity that is also a part of what is happening in Congress. And I am hoping that, that we'll be able to deal with that in, in this, this, this coming year. Because my, my concern is that if we don't, it's only going to get worse. In the in the next uh, in the next session and in the nearer future, Congresswoman, uh, I especially want to ask because of your role as the subcommittee chair on Homeland Security Appropriations, uh, we heard this list of things the the White House wants to do on expanding testing capacity, hospital capacity. I saw in their rundown FEMA appear a number of times. I don't believe they've sent a request for more resources, but do you should we expect Congress to act at some point to provide more resources to follow up on this on on the Omicron variant? Okay. Well, now uh, my understanding is right now is that that FEMA has enough money to to follow through on what the president is requesting. Of course, that is going to you know depend on how quickly we can deal with this new with this new virus. And hopefully, uh, given all the efforts that the president is putting forth to get uh, you know testing uh, into uh, throughout our country and and get the vaccines out that it won't be necessary to um, to allocate more money. But my understanding is that right now that FEMA has what it needs to do its job. Congresswoman, I'm also wondering if there's a concern uh, just from what you're seeing with your constituents in your districts that there don't seem to be enough tests at this point. Uh, is there a concern that the Biden administration sort of got behind here on making sure there were the resources that Americans need? Well, my yeah, you know, my understanding is that there haven't been uh, enough uh, test uh, kits made available, and I think that's the one thing that the president said he will be uh, be addressing in in getting uh, more out. And and I don't under uh, know really. I uh, haven't had an opportunity to talk to them as to the reasons why there has been uh, some delays in getting these tests out. But uh, based on what I do know, is whatever it is. They have overcome it, and they will be getting uh, a sufficient amount of tests uh, out. I believe he mentioned somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 million right. uh, tests will be going into uh, American homes. Now, other than that, Congresswoman, uh, very briefly, you, you all are facing a February 18th deadline to fund the government. How do you feel about actually coming to a deal uh, by that point, or are we going to see more stopgaps? You, you know what? Our country cannot afford um, to shut down the government or to uh, operate on a continuing resolution. There is so much at stake uh, right now if, if that were to happen. And, and I don't know if you saw the uh, statement that was 
sent out by um, the commandant of the Coast Guard hmm. uh, alone. We 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 are right. in in threat uh, from from Russia, from China, up in the Arctic, and we need to be, provide our agencies with the funding um, that they need. And and the Coast right. Guard is certainly a good example. Right. Of uh, Congresswoman, thank you so much for joining us. That was Congresswoman Lucille Roybal Allard, Democrat from California. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Joe is out. Jack and Emily are in. I'm Emily Wilkins here with Jack Fitzpatrick. Uh, We are filling in for Joe today. Well, uh, Democratic senators will be meeting tonight virtually to discuss the next step forward on President Joe Biden's social policy and spending bill after Senator Joe Manchin basically blew up the effort over the weekend. Uh, lawmakers have vowed to keep fighting to ensure they can bring something to their constituents. Heard that this hour from the lawmakers we've had on. And this afternoon, President Biden was asked about his outlook for the bill and his ability to continue working with Manchin. Did Senator Manchin break his commitment to you? Senator Manchin and I are going to get something done. Short, sweet, to the point. Uh, we are back, bringing back the uh, the, the star panel uh, with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shianzano and Rick Davis. Um, I think, Rick, I'll just start with you because I know that you obviously have experience working with senators, working in the Senate. What are you going to be looking for and listening for over the next couple days or weeks that will sort of cue you in on exactly how much momentum they have to forage something from the current Build Back Better framework? Well, first, the way I would read it is there is zero momentum for anything uh, that would be looking like a rehash of the Build Back Better plan. I mean, the president's uh, statement just prior to saying he thinks he can still get something done with 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 Manchin indicated that he was it was going to be some version of Build Back Better, but I think Manchin made it completely and totally clear that he's not going to be for anything that looks like Build Back Better. I I, I can't imagine why the administration isn't looking at this and saying, sure, we could probably get something done. Let's not call it Build Back Better anymore. Let's try and find ways of piecing something together with him. But 
uh, I must admit, I mean, I was dumbfounded when it looked like they were going back to the well on Build Back Better. I mean, at some point, somebody needs to tell the president that Joe Manchin doesn't make a habit of backtracking on his positions and is unlikely to make progress with that bill. It'll, it'll be interesting to see if they come up with a much smaller version, uh, you know, based on what we've heard on this show, probably centered around the child tax credit. Uh, and I, I don't know if they have to rename it. Uh, Jeannie, I'm curious what you think. Going back to the uh, conversation with Congresswoman uh, Bordeaux earlier, saying that she, even she, a moderate Democrat who had pushed back at times against her party on this bill, was disappointed in Joe Manchin. I, I, what are we learning in terms of whether Manchin is alone on this or is he speaking for others? What do you, what do you make of that, Jeannie? Well, you know, I, I thought it was fascinating because one of the things we learned in your interview with her was that she, too, very much like Joe Manchin, was trying to talk about potentially taking the child tax credit and focusing it on families in need, and she differentiated right. herself from that. So if there is a pathway forward with something like that, we may see some movement. But I will tell you, what I am watching for in just the next few hours is does Joe Manchin join this call? that they're having around 8 p.m. tonight? Or does he go with our Joe Matthew and go away on vacation and <laughs> <laughs> enjoy himself with the Joes? I mean, to me, that is a big sign. Uh, you know, we've already heard a lot of discussions, the latest being that Senator Cornyn texted Manchin and talked about potentially joining the GOP. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but that is the kind of thing I'm going to be watching for. And then beyond that, do they keep negotiating as the clip you played with the president suggested? they might and if so how could they sort of negotiate a path forward because to rick's point i think the build back better bill that we've been talking about is essentially dead at this point and then the question becomes if build back better is dead is that really the end for that child tax credit that was something that democrats have run on they've made a big deal about that wasn't stated during the, the biden presidency and now it could potentially run out during the biden presidency if, I, if i'm not mistaken about that it, well, the the CTC is, is set to expire just about now at the yeah. end of the year. They need to legislate again to re-up it. Uh, and, and that's what we got at with Congresswoman Bordeaux was, are you going to make extra payments if and when it comes back? Because they're going to end up missing at least the January payment, if not February. Yeah, Rick, is that going to wind up really hurting Democrats if this benefit uh, is, is completely dropped off, is not continuing? I mean, it, it, 36, uh, yeah, 36 million Americans get this benefit. Is that going to have a, a big impact in how people view the Biden administration? You know, it's, it's hard to say how they pivot from this, because as you point out, I mean, there are some things that are popular. This, you know, child tax credit is one of those things. They juiced it during COVID. You know, it's a significantly more expensive plan. Uh, it gives a lot more credit uh, and, and payments to families with children uh, than it ever did before. And so the question is, do they restructure this to something more affordable? I mean, remember, the way it was currently structured uh, in the proposal from Build Back Better, that if you actually extended it for 10 years, which would be a normal funding cycle, it would be as much as the original Build Back Better uh, uh, spend. So uh, there's got to be a lot of thinking going on in the Democratic Party right now as to, like, what are the things we need to run on in the midterm? Do we have enough on uh, the current legislative cycle to actually make a political argument for keeping Democrats in power? Uh, and they got to be careful not to mix that message because they do have some wins, right? They they put a fantastic, you know, uh, amount of money to work, you know, to try and uh, battle COVID. 
uh, $2 billion, $2 trillion, and then another trillion uh, on infrastructure. These are yeah. great accomplishments. Do they go to the bank with that, or do they start risking getting bogged down in another congressional fight you know, within a year of the election? Yeah, I'm curious. With a 50-50 Senate and almost barely greater than a half-and-half half House, uh, if Democrats end up taking away from some of their, I think, sort of surprising accomplishments given the margins by a high-profile failure, if this does in fact fail. But Rick, I've got to ask you, because Jeannie mentioned it, what do you make of all the uh, the murmurs of, oh, could Manchin switch parties? Does that make any sense to you? No. I mean, like, every time John McCain would do something against the Republicans in Congress, <laughs> Schumer would call him up, is now the time! <laughs> and and it, it was never the time. I mean, you don't actually have to be fed up with your party to want to make a change in it. And if anything, I would suspect that uh, uh, this actually enhances his Democratic credentials at home. And uh, why, why invite a Democrat running against you when the Republicans probably won't put anybody against him, you know, when he runs for reelection? So, uh, nah, I mean, I, I can't imagine him looking at this and saying, you know, that, uh, that I need to change parties because they made it so intolerable. If anything, Biden walking it back today uh, will make it a little more comfortable. And as Jeannie said, you know, I wouldn't be surprised because of that, that he doesn't hop on the phone with the group tonight and say, you know, what can we get done next year? Plus, I mean, if Manchin becomes a, a Republican, I, I mean, I guess it's still, you know, it'd be 51-49. He would kind of lose the amount of power that he really has at this point of being in a 50-50 Senate. And he's absolutely used that power to transform the social policy and spending bill to be much closer to what his vision of, one of that wanted to be than, say, President Biden's. Rick, I, I apologize. I know we're picking on you a little bit today, but we got a, just a lot of news here from the Senate. Uh, we are seeing a report from the New York Times saying that John Thune, uh, Senator number two, Senate Republican, uh, is potentially considering retirement, which would be surprising because he's considered as a potential uh, successor to uh, current minority leader Mitch McConnell. Uh, I just wanted to see, Rick, if you if you heard anything or if you can weigh in on that, how, how big of a surprise would a retirement like that be? You know, it, it would be a surprise. I mean, uh, John Thune is, as you point out, in line. Uh, he's one of the three Johns in the leadership uh, who would like to become the next leader. Uh, and, and, and it would only be because uh, Mitch McConnell has decided to stick around and try and break the existing record for uh, leadership, uh, which will take another couple of years, and, and maybe Senator Thune would decide that he didn't want to stick around to do that. But um, I know he's always had his eye on leadership. He, he would make a fine leader of the Republicans in the Senate. And if, if he does decide to retire, it'll be a big loss for Republicans, I'm sure. A uh, broader question I have, Jeannie, I'm curious what you make uh, of this uh, the really interesting piece by Mike Dorning uh, on Bloomberg.com and on the terminal uh, titled, Biden falters in push to reframe debt debate thwarting agenda. I'm curious, you know, with all the talk of the low interest rates, it seemed that Democrats, at least many Democrats, mainstream Democrats, had very different views on the debt and deficit than probably under the Obama administration. What's the big picture takeaway uh, of what Manchin maybe appears to be pumping the brakes on in, in terms of where Democrats stand on the fiscal agenda? 
Well, I, you know, it's fascinating because this is one of the things that Manchin has talked a good deal about is that he wants Democrats to pay more attention to the debt than they have. Of course, you could say the same thing about Republicans under the Trump administration. Very little attention paid to the debt at that point. And as you listen to somebody like Bernie Sanders over the weekend, he faults Joe Manchin saying you're worried about the debt now, but you weren't so worried about it when you supported the huge military spending. So you do see a back and forth there. I think one of the questions I have about the Democrats' um, ability to communicate on some of this is something that the president alluded to today, which is the fact that the answer to inflation and to a certain extent some of our economic challenges is an investment by the government in the infrastructure and the build back better. They haven't been able to make that case, but it's an important case to make, and it's supported by many economists, not only about inflation, but also about the debt. So I think that's something really important for the Democrats to do a better job on. Yeah, I think we saw even Goldman Sachs there lowered their 2022 growth forecast after Manchin came out and said that it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Jeannie Shanzano, Rick Davis, thank you to our excellent panel, as well as Congresswoman Lucille Roybal Allard and Carolyn Bordeaux for joining us today. I'm Emily Wilkins here with Jack Fitzpatrick. We will see you tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.